Hello! Welcome to another story about the Peters family. The name of this week's story is Pearson's Painful Punishment. As always, we've included a line from a hymn or a hymn title within the story. If you recognize it, send your answer to whimsywin at gmail.com. If yours is the first correct answer we receive, we will send you a prize. Last week's hymn was I Am Thine, O Lord, from the story Penelope Shares the Word Literally, Part 2. But we didn't have a winner, so maybe we'll have one next week. Now let's get to this week's story, Pearson's Painful Punishment. Pearson's Painful Punishment The doorbell rang on a Friday afternoon. After peeking through the window and confirming that it was no one nefarious standing on the porch, Mama Peters gave permission to Pearson and Penelope to answer the door. They both raced furiously to find out who had rung the bell and who was on the other side of the door and were rewarded with the vision of Todd Hicks standing on their porch along with Mrs. Hicks and the twins Baron Ruth. After what felt like the longest week ever, because of so much schooling, the Peters were excited to get a reprieve from school, but also a hangout with Todd. This wasn't just any hangout. This was a working hangout, because the next day, the annual Evergreen Reform Thanksgiving Feast, which took place on the first Saturday of November, was happening. It mattered not to Pearson and Penelope that it was a working hangout. They loved the annual feast, which was really more of a community outreach, combined with a carnival-like celebration for all of the church family. And as they did every year, after the festivities concluded, they would gather as one body. They would sing hymns and songs of praise in adoration to God. There was a thankfulness time, too. And it was common for tears of joy to flow as the family of God recounted the blessings from Him that year. Most times... There would be unbelievers there as well. So the salvation message was always presented. Several families at church would sponsor a table together, and the Hicks and Peters were in charge of a table. They had decided that they would do their pineapple table again, just as they'd done for the church harvest festival a couple of weeks prior. Though the harvest festival was similar to this event, it didn't include a thankfulness time, which was a good time to prepare their hearts as they inched closer to Thanksgiving Day. They all just loved the name of their table. The pineapple table had been Penelope's idea, and everyone agreed that it was a rather clever name. They would have a big bin filled with water and apples, where everyone was welcome to bob for apples. A timer would be set that was in the shape of a pineapple. Mama Peters had bought it years before at a hobby store, and boy did she love that timer. The timer would start by turning the top of the pineapple, and it would tick away turning round and round until the time was up. The timer would go for as long as two minutes. After trial and error using the children as testers, they found that one minute was just too long for bobbing for an apple. So each participant got 30 seconds on the pineapple timer. If the person came up with an apple between his or her teeth, they would receive a slice of pie of their choice. The person who couldn't grasp an apple would get a slice of pineapple. Of course, everyone could keep trying as many times as they wanted, so a piece of pie was always winnable. For their working hangout that day, Mama Peters divvied up the work assignments. Todd and Pearson were tasked with making the sign for the table. Penelope would watch the two sets of twins while Mama Peters and Mrs. Hicks would make the pies. Mama Peters, who was known for her baking and cooking around the church, 
had pulled out all of her recipes for the pies she had chosen to make. She'd already made the dough at the beginning of the week, so Mrs. Hicks set to rolling it out for two dozen pies that they were planning to bake. They figured they could get 10 slices of pie out of each, and typically, about 200 people attended the event. Mama Peters had decided on blackberry, apple, pecan, pumpkin, chocolate, and her very favorite, appleberry. They would make four of each type, and already the house was smelling delectable with the overpowering aroma of cinnamon. I'm so excited about our table, Mama Peters. It's going to be great, I think. I have a pineapple tablecloth, and I think that will be perfect, Mrs. Higgs said, just as Mama Peters turned on the music to This Is My Father's World. The sounds of hymns playing in the background would be soothing and peaceful. Mama Peters turned back around and answered, Oh, yes, Maggie, that's a wonderful idea. I think it'll be so much fun, too. When you're finished rolling out the dough, would you mind putting the chocolate filling together? I'm going to start on the pumpkin pies, Mama Peters asked sweetly. Oh, of course. And your chocolate pie is my favorite, Mama Peters. I don't know how I'm going to work the table without testing all of the pies. It'll be a true exercise in self-restraint. Oh, I know, Mama Peters agreed. I love pie. But I feel like that as the cooks, we should be able to taste all of the fillings. So feel free, as free as I feel, to try as much as you want. Or then I'll feel guilty that I'm the only one trying all of the fillings. Mama Peters laughed. <laughs> oh, Mama Peters, don't you worry about that. No need for guilt. I'm going to be sampling plenty. Mrs. Hicks paused and looked thoughtful for a moment before continuing. Mama Peters, I could use some advice on something. Todd brings our family a lot of joy, and thankfully, and by God's grace, we've seen the Spirit at work in his life. We believe he's bearing fruit of repentance in many ways, but he still will not clean his room diligently. He doesn't like cleaning, and so every day it is one of his chores, and I tell you, most days it's not completed well. I talk to him till I'm blue in the face about it, and I can't say that he doesn't have sadness over it when I'm talking to him. But I'm afraid he's as the man in the book of James who looks at his face in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. Todd certainly listens to me, and he doesn't want to displease the Lord or cause problems for Mitch and me. But the following evening, when it's time to clean again, he throws away any clothes, including clean ones, into the hamper and shoves various toys and items into random places and calls it clean. I feel like I've threatened him with discipline but it's hard to discipline him when it comes right down to it, because he seems so remorseful. Mostly, he's such an easy kid to raise, except for in this. You have any advice for me, Mama Peters? Oh, boy, Maggie. Wow, I've been through this many times with my own kids. The first thing I remember is from Second Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas Worldly grief produces death. That means there is sometimes a remorse we feel over sin, but it isn't necessarily genuine repentance. It could just be initial sadness over having hurt someone, or even for the moment having hurt God. But it doesn't last, because we don't take the time to think about how truly sinful and odious it is to a powerful God. If we linger longer over our sin, it tends to give the Spirit the chance to work on and bring to our hearts the sadness that results from understanding our grievous sins against the Lord. 
I mean, isn't it so common for us to even know we have sinned and yet not to really care at all that much? If we don't stop and think, I like to remind the kids that we must linger longer when we don't actually feel like repenting. I know that for me, sometimes if I'm easily angered, I don't feel sad about it until I sit and think about sin and the holy God who has been offended by my sin, who sent his only son to die. Anyway, and praise God, the Spirit is always faithful to cause me to understand my sin and then to help me repent, to turn from it and turn to Christ. Oh, Mama Peters, that makes perfect sense. I'm that way sometimes too. I want to have godly sorrow. And I know I can't produce that in Todd. Are there any practical ways I can help nudge Todd that way? Well, Maggie, I can only tell you what I've tried. No matter, we can pray that God's Spirit will convict Todd to repent of his laziness. But let me tell you a story about what happened two years ago with Pearson. Having a tender-hearted oldest is a wonderful gift from the Lord. And you have that in Todd. I have that in Pearson. It's a good example to the younger ones. And it's just so helpful when trying to correct or admonish them in their sin. But I think in some ways, it has also lent itself to missteps. Because they're so tender, it's easy for us to think that when they're crying and sad about their sin, that we can stop there because the work is done. But it's not. Following through with discipline is perhaps the hardest thing to do as a mom. So here's the story of what happened. At dinner time, nearly every night... Pearson would take more than a half an hour to eat his veggies at the table. The child was born despising any healthy foods. And so we would try and try to help him. But it was debilitating, taking an extra half hour at the table every night because he didn't want to eat his broccoli was growing very tiresome. And it was trying to both my patients and Daddy Peters. One night in particular, I remember that I literally became physically ill from sitting with him. Picture this in your mind's eye, Maggie. It was the night I served cooked carrots with our meal. So Pearson is chewing and chewing and chewing up the carrots. And they had become so mashed in his teeth. And he had been chewing on them for so long that there was a foul orange liquid that began oozing out of the corners of his mouth. I could hardly talk without gagging. And I kept telling him, swallow. And even now, I'm practically gagging. I would count and keep trying to get him to swallow, and he would simply not obey. In fairness, he also has my sensitive gag reflex, and so he gags quite easily, and he was gagging over the mashed carrots in his mouth. Oh, my! Even talking about it now makes me a little sick to my stomach. Anyway, I had finally had it. Pearson, I said, if you don't swallow this down within the next 30 seconds, you will not go to the movies with Daddy Peters and Penelope tomorrow. I figured that might work because Pearson was so excited because the following day they were planning to see the original Amazings movie. And honestly, I'm not sure I thought it through that well, but I was just feeling done. That's not a way to discipline, by the way, out of exasperation. But I have to say he probably deserved that measure of discipline. However, I'm not sure I was willing or ready to follow through on it. But my threats did nothing. After 30 seconds, guess what he still had in his mouth? Yup, he was swishing the carrot juice in his cheeks and, ah, I was just disgusted. He wasn't necessarily defying me on purpose, but he certainly was not wanting to obey because he hated carrots. So after five minutes, where my anger was growing more and more out of control, and I kept, 
Doubling down, to my chagrin, on my promises of discipline, he swallowed the carrots. I had promised so many punishments, no movies, no sweets for a week, followed by a promise of a moratorium on any playing with his building blocks. I was just letting the anger build up inside of me, and when at long last Pearson swallowed the carrots, we were rejoicing, and I instantly felt the pangs of regret over my threats. I sent Pearson upstairs for a bath with Daddy Peters as I cleaned up the final dishes left from Pearson. I hand-washed the remaining dishes, cleaned the kitchen, and slowly the burden on my heart grew, because I knew the truth. I had threatened Pearson with more punishment than I wanted to carry out, and because of my guilt over being angry, I was prepared to cancel all of the discipline. I went upstairs and saw my sweet little boy in his jammies. And Maggie, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, because you've seen Todd in his jammies all nice and clean. Oh, Mama Peters, I know exactly what you're talking about. I sure do. Anyway, Mama Peters continued, to this day, I can still remember that imagery. Pearson's hair was all wet and sticking up from his bath, and his eyes were all red, and he was in his amazing pajamas, which only reminded me of the movie that was scheduled for the following day. So you can imagine, Maggie, my heart was absolutely aching. I took him by the hand into his room and sat on his bed next to him. I said, Pearson, you know you aren't being obedient with your eating tonight, right? He nodded, and he had earnest tears as they flowed down his cheeks. And he wasn't the only one, because my eyes were springing with tears as I talked to him. I held his hands, which still had baby fat on them, in mine, and I just broke. I said, Pearson? I want to show you grace. I spoke and threatened too many disciplinary measures. I know it's hard to eat your veggies. And he looked at me with his big tender brown eyes and said, Mama Peters, but I did wrong. And he just started crying and crying. And I replied, I want to show you grace, Pearson, and allow you to go to the movies tomorrow. And he hugged me and responded, Thank you, Mama Peters. He was so excited, and we prayed and asked the Lord to help him obey. And it was all wonderful in that moment. But I made a huge mistake that night that would come to light later. I trusted my feelings over my knowledge and over my wisdom. I knew that I had been angry and had made it worse by sinning through harshness. But rather than simply acknowledging that to Pearson and seeking forgiveness from him and the Lord, I made it worse. I sinned further by removing the sting of discipline that might have lent itself to Pearson's repentance. Instead of me trusting God with a discipline I should have meted out, I stood in the way of the lesson the Lord might have had for Pearson and the emotional upheaval of the moment. I neglected to consider Hebrews 12.11. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I was unwilling to inflict pain on my son because I was too guilt-ridden by my own sin and it only served to compound the matter. Anyway, the next night, after a wonderful day at the movies, we had steak and potatoes and asparagus. And you guessed it, a repeat of the night before. And Maggie, if you thought carrots looked gross, all chewed up and oozing out the side of your mouth, Imagine how a concoction of chewed-up, masticated asparagus looks. It was an oozy green mess that kept trying to escape his mouth. And I can tell you from experience, 
Asparagus juice is downright repulsive. But here's what happened this time. I knew I must remain patient. And so I asked the Lord to help me walk in patience and wisdom. And Maggie, don't you just love how James says that anyone who asks for wisdom, that God will give it to him liberally? So that's what I did as I sat for the extra half hour at dinner with Pearson. I told Pearson that if he did not eat his asparagus by the time the pineapple timer finished, he would not only be receiving discipline on his bum, but he wouldn't be going to Bobby's birthday party after church the next day. I tell you what, Pearson didn't even flinch. He was on to me. I don't think he believed that I would follow through with it. After all, we had already purchased Bobby a birthday present, and it was wrapped. But Penelope was also invited, so she would get to go. Pearson would have to stay home with Daddy Peters while I accompanied Penelope to the party. But it was obvious that Pearson had no intention of obeying. He simply let the pineapple timer expire. I was so in dread of that timer going off. But the timer went off, and I knew what I had to do. And just as the night before, this night looked very much the same. Pearson apologized, and big old tears fell from his eyes as I prayed with him. Only this time, I was determined to follow through on my discipline. And then the next morning came. Pearson looked hopefully at me at breakfast before church. Pearson so wanted to go to the party, and he hoped against hope that I would not keep my word. But Maggie, I knew I had to. Additionally, Daddy Peters was there to encourage me and to remind Pearson that discipline is painful, but perhaps God would work through this. We went to church, and at the end of the service, I put Pearson in the car with Daddy Peters and Penelope, and I rode to the party with Mrs. Jones. When I placed Pearson in the car and hugged him, my heart broke into a million pieces. Pearson had tears in his eyes, and I had tears in mine, and I once more explained to him that he had disobeyed and would not be able to go. I think right up to that moment, he was hoping for a reversal. And frankly, I was hoping for a reversal. I hugged Daddy Peters and whispered in his ear, Can he go to the party? And Daddy Peters said something that I'll not soon forget. He said, Mama Peters, this will have a far bigger effect on him, and the Lord may use this than not following through with your word again. Perhaps there will be a breakthrough. Oh, how I clung to those words. After the party, Mrs. Jones drove Penelope and me home. When we arrived home, we found a sad but functioning Pearson. Penelope, ever the fan of her big brother, gave him gigantic hugs and handed him her goodies from the party. And then we had a talk about what true repentance looks like. And then another big test came. I served broccoli for dinner. I gave Pearson a heads up about what the consequences would be should we have a repeat of the episodes from the prior two nights. I set that pineapple timer, and this time, Pearson actually seemed to hasten in his obedience. He kept his eyes glued on that pineapple timer and chewed quickly. And right before the timer went off, he swallowed his broccoli. We were thrilled beyond words. We rejoiced and served ice cream that night. It was a turning point for us, but I think I learned the lesson as much as Pearson. That faithfulness to discipline means faithfulness in following through. I could bring more grace to Pearson's life by truly hurting him in the moment than I could by removing discipline that the Lord might work through in his heart. And even now, my heart is so moved at the memory. Mrs. Hicks, who had been listening intently, finally spoke. 
Wow, Mama Peters, what an amazing and super gross story that is. You can say that again, Maggie. And we were amazed and still remain amazed by the Lord's faithfulness. Well, Mama Peters, Mrs. Hicks replied as she took a spoonful of the chocolate pie filling. I'm going to need to put into practice what you learned that night. From here on out, when Todd's room is messy and he doesn't clean it as Mitch and I have directed, we must make sure to dispense real consequences. Would you be praying that we, more like I, follow through and keep my word? Of course, Maggie. Todd is so sweet, and I have a feeling that it will be fast because he's indeed very tender-hearted. Mama Peters assured Mrs. Hicks. That's so true, Mrs. Hicks agreed. And may the Lord cause Todd to turn from his sin quickly. Then, with a gigantic grin on her face, Mama Peters picked up the pineapple timer. Hey, Maggie, you want to borrow this? Oh, boy, Mama Peters, do I ever! Mrs. Hicks laughed. (laughs) As she and Mama Peters continued preparing pies and sampling the fillings. This is Grandmom's Corner. Do any of you listening have trouble following through with your word, which is in effect lying? Sometimes we don't want to think of it as lying, but there is no getting around it. When we don't follow through with our word, or at least we don't let the person to whom we've given our word know that we will be unable to follow through with it for a legitimate reason, it is nothing more than lying. Certainly, many times we don't intend to lie, but ultimately, It is a character flaw that must be worked through. I know that from experience. Decades ago, one could rent wooden hoops for costume period dresses or wedding dresses or any other type of dress for which you wanted a poofy look. Most likely, you're not familiar with hoops, but you can find pictures on the internet and it's described as a hoop petticoat constructed of whalebone or wicker basket or something like that. Many years ago, I needed to rent a hoop, the only time in my life to date that I needed one. For a 10-day rental, it was $15. Back in those days, I procrastinated a whole lot. My loose motto for my life was, why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? Certainly, that's said with tongue-in-cheek, but it is sort of how I live my life. The funny thing was that I wasn't a liar. That is, I didn't lie under normal circumstances. But in effect, when I procrastinated and I didn't keep my word, that was an area of my life where I lied. Anyway, after I finished using the hoop for what I needed it, I tossed it in our garage rather than returning it. I had absolutely no use for it. So why didn't I just return it? I have no idea. Even to this day, many years later, I think I was just lazy, and every day that came, I thought, I'll take it back tomorrow, which never came. The man who owned the rental store was so patient with me. He would call, and I would promise to bring in the hoop. I had every intention to return it, but I just didn't follow through with it. In those days, there was no caller ID. If it had been available, I probably wouldn't have answered the phone when the shop owner called. The last time he called, he didn't even care that there were late fees to be applied. He said in a pleading tone, I just want my hoop back. His tone has haunted me over the years. And not returning that hoop has plagued me, even though I've confessed my sin of lying, selfishness, and theft, because the hoop wasn't mine, to the Lord. The times that it's cropped up in my thinking over the years, I've had to remind myself 
that I've already confessed my sin to the Lord and that I was sorry. And as Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So I make myself not dwell on it. But it's been a great lesson to apply to my life on my way to learning to not procrastinate and to keep my word to others. I've used that as an illustration with my kids over the years, and one of my sons asked me if I'd ever returned it, to which I ruefully answered, no. But like the Bible teaches, I forget what's behind me and remember that the Lord used it in my life to help me not procrastinate and not lie. Proverbs 12:22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. And I want to be a delight to God. Proverbs 6, 16-19 tells of the seven things the Lord hates and that are an abomination to Him. An abomination is something that is detestable, and lying is one of those things that God hates and finds detestable. Since God hates lying, we too must hate lying, and we must ask God to help us be truth-tellers. The Lord willing, we'll be back next week with another story about the Peters family. Bye for now.